When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is brought to you by bellacatering.com.au. Guys, as we are clamping down in Australia, particularly on even harsher quarantine zones, the international border lockdown has happened, the local state border lockdown has happened, and COVID-19 is just not slowing down fast enough. So catering companies like Bella Catering have flipped into home delivery. If you guys go to bellacatering.com.au, you can find an insane array of beautiful home-cooked meals that can be delivered to your door. They are still an essential service. Why go out and brave shopping centers with absolute crazy people who want to sneeze coronavirus right into your face? Why not just stay online and order delicious catering from bellacatering.com.au? Glenn, Maria, the team, they're absolutely fantastic. Get onto their website right now. I definitely highly recommend the look of the butter chicken and the individualized $4 cheesecakes. Do it right now. You have to. And now, onto the show. Bernstein and Woodward took a cab to the Library of Congress and found the office that handles the White House request for material in the library. Speaking to the reporters in a hallway rather than his office, a librarian informed them politely that White House transactions were confidential. Eventually, the reporters found a more cooperative clerk and spent the afternoon in the reading room sorting through thousands of slips of paper. Every request since July 1971 when Hunt was hired by the White House. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to All the President's Minutes. I'm your host, Blake Howard. Joining me today is a defector from Czechoslovakia, a former professional hockey player, and now a really great film editor who's currently working on a million things. And if you haven't seen the films that he's worked on or edited, one thing you can do is just simply go to one of his most gloriously and celebratory uh, spots his little stakeout on the internet, which is his Twitter. Um, and if you go there, what you'll find is just this immense amount of material and love and adoration and analysis of cinematic art. How many shots per length? Uh, you know, average shot uh, shots before cuts for different directors. You know, full breakdowns of beautiful scenes, especially you know for, of interest to anyone who's listening to your one eight minute production of the how many shots are actually in um, Michael Mann's uh, centerpiece high shootout in heat. And uh, he's just a a friend of the series that we've done and a friend of the show and just someone I love talking to about all things cinematic craft. It is the awesome Vashi Nidamansky. Vashi, thank you so much for coming back and talking to me about this one. Blake, thank you so much for having me back and thank you for what you do because this, this and the heat um, podcast. Literally, I can't wait for each episode to come out. I learn so much. I revisit films that mean so much to me. And the act of being able to break it down, be it via craft or just 
emotion and all those components of filmmaking that are equally important. It's really, really fun. It's like a film school without having to leave the house so I can sit in my own <laughs> and have this conversation. Well, um, uh, just in case I didn't mention in that opening, it is at Vashi Koo. So if you guys want to listen, um, or, uh, scroll along as you're listening. But um, you, Vashi is, we've been admiring the split diopter work of All the President's Men during the beginnings of All the President's Minutes. And I was like, all right, we've got to get you on the show quick. Uh, and the minute you guys would know from reading it, if, as it's popped up in your podcast feeds today, is the 30th minute. And it really has, you know, one of the most iconic shots in all of cinema and it's super exciting to be talking to you about it and just in the lead up I think what I didn't realize before really knuckling down and preparing for this specific moment is just some real beautiful effortless character work even in the way the scene is edited so I'm, I'm just dying to talk to you about it oh I I can't wait there's literally so many little things happen in this minute that are so striking and so evocative and, and important to the story. And it tells you like what's actually happening behind the scenes, you know, the big business and the big capitalists and the, and the government against the little man. And it's all right there laid out so beautifully. Tell me a little bit about, before we dive into the minute proper, tell me about like, you know, you're, you're a studious, um, you know, a, a film consumer. And I, I want to know what your thoughts of Pacula are as, or Pacula. He, as a, as a filmmaker, uh, he he seems to escape some of the gush that we 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 garner to that whole era of filmmakers um, who sort of had an enduring legacy or influence over many many other filmmakers that followed them. When you're looking at some of his stuff and and thinking, more, you know, his sort of trio here of um, of uh, Clute and then uh, Parallax and then all the presidents. Can you tell me a little bit about some of the craft that you're, you know, you've marveled at or you've studied with his stuff? Because I'm just, I'm really curious. Yeah, I, I think the, the one of the most important things is yes, this is part of the conspiracy era of the '70s when films tended to be dark and moody like that. I think with Pakula, he all his films it sets a really amazing tone. Yes, and that's a combination of all the crafts and components of filmmaking, and to be able to sustain that for two hours and tell a story and, and be, let everyone become so involved and you're drawn into the story that's the true mark of like that's his directorial style to me that moody tone it's dreadful it's scary at sometimes it's just impending doom yes and you know usually you go to the theater you want to have a positive experience or you want to whatever get away and enjoy a film but yes. this is just as enjoyable and in that era of the 70s that was day to day that was reality it was impending doom from <laughs> both the cold war and the internal government issues going on and, and everything else. So he, you know, he was capturing the tone of that time in that era and he did it so beautifully and effortlessly. And I agree with you. He doesn't get the recognition he deserves, but I mean, true cinephiles definitely know who he is, know his work and enjoy his work. And, and those three films I find extremely rewatchable. And I'm sure we'll get into that because what can make a film? Why would you want to watch All the President's Men? I mean, I've watched it 30 times, 40 times. <laughs> I put it on in my office. It's like a friend. It's like a conversation <laughs> that's happening next to me. And I'm eavesdropping on that conversation. And it just makes me feel good. because It's never rushed. It's never hurried. Yes. There's so many little moments. And they're just in, so enjoyable to devour. And that's, I always come back to All the President's Men. That's such a mark of an editor, and I love that you said it, is like the timing, because timing is so 
essential to your your craft and timing is so essential to the craft of movies just in general is because as you said a huge compliment for this movie is that it's not rushed it's very deliberately paced and it's tense and the tension is just ratcheting up like by by tiny but by like the, the smallest increment by grain of sand by grain of sand before you realize that the weight is crushing by the end of the movie and and that's the kind of the the sort of the, the mark of the artistry but a bad it's, movie like this movie is 138 minutes long uh, doesn't feel like it doesn't feel and it i was I, I won't i won't say the movie but i was watching a movie that i got 43 minutes through last night a, a contemporary film and yeah. that felt like i'd that felt like I'd spent 43 minutes in the ring with Tyson Fury. Like I was just, <laughs> I was just being, he's six foot nine. He's got those long arms. I was just being battered, 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 battered. I felt awful. And it is such a mark of like timing, tone, mood, pace, like knowing when to turn up the pace, knowing when to bring it down. And I just was like, oh my God, this this is such a punish. This is why I find myself occupying these little spaces of deep dives to really, you know, to, to really absorb something that is, is really uh, elevated levels of mastery. But look, let's get to this minute. It's 29 minutes on your dial if you're watching it all the way up to the 30th, 30th minute. And uh, Vashi and I are going to watch it. You guys are going to listen along and then we're going to come back and talk about it. You want all the material requested by the White House? All White House transactions are confidential. Thank you very much, John. You need a sympathetic face. We're not going to find one here. You want every request since when? Uh, when did he start? July of 71. I imagine the whole last year. I'm not sure you want them. But I got him. Wow. There it is, my friend. Love it. I absolutely love that. Oh my God, there's there's a thousand things to talk about in that one minute, which you wouldn't think is even possible. <laughs> and I don't know how you have the stamina every minute of this film to, to go in fresh and not be overwhelmed, but still every single time presents so many beautiful comments and observations. It's it's a real it's a real skill. I don't uh, know how you have the endurance. Oh, uh, thank you. Look, it, the, I genuinely think it ta- it's all about the film. It's all about the film. I think you've just got to love it so deeply and and be and be able to marvel at it. Like the in in these few minutes, you know, it, even as we kick this minute off, I get excited by just things like how smart it is to not have these two guys walking up the stairs together. Like what yeah. a what a choice. It's just it's such a nothing choice that other films would just totally well let's have them standing next to each other. But no, right. it says so much more about They're their character. Staggered. Yeah. They're staggered. And with that first shot, you know, first of all, you know, they come towards the camera, they pan around, we see the huge building, they're walking upstairs, it's an uphill battle. I mean, that imagery is very straightforward. There's the little tiny images against the big building, the big government. And <laughs> yes. what, one nice little touch, which um, I did when I was an eighth. The 
doing their eighth grade tour, which is what we do in you know North America. You go to the, or in the United States, you go to Washington in eighth grade and you see all the buildings and you visit with a senator and you go to Arlington and yes. to see them all coming down the stairs as they're going in just, just reminded me of my it's a really nice touch. And and the big one is also just as a character moment, it's Bernstein racing up the stairs ahead. Like, yeah, it's, there's still this conflict at the beginning of the story, even though they're on the story and they're partnering. There's still this little inkling of God, I just want to be first. And and then yeah. you've and got you know, and you've got you Woodward's more deliberate. Yeah. And you've got yeah. Woodward's more deliberate cadence. He's like, this is how fast it, this is how fast things are. This is how long it's going to take. This is what's happening. Yes. It's a really beautiful yeah. so just from the- thing. <laughs> Yeah, no, just they're they're acting. Yeah, they're they're acting with their bodies, not saying not saying a word. And you and you see and you understand everything. Their relationship, what's important to each person. You know, Hoffman has, has to have his character in there first. He has to be first <laughs> through the door. He has to be ahead. And and the the next thing that that I find find amazing is that you know we overlap the dialogue of the first clerk in the library. Yes, and he's answering a question that the characters didn't ask because they don't, you don't need to ask. You know what they're going there for. Yes. So the efficiency of the editing by giving the answer to a question you didn't hear is awesome. And, and also, the brevity of that, the economy is great. And it's so cool because you, you just made some great um, comparisons to, you know, it's an uphill battle. They're going up those stairs. They're going to this huge government building. And then the face of bureaucracy fills the screen. So like, you know, you're right there. And this big and this guy's big boring face answering an unanswered, unseen question is just like a big talking head in a documentary. Even more extreme than that because it's even closer. It's even tighter than like a talking head. It's not. It's not at his you know his second button um, from a framing perspective. It's right there in his face, and it's. Yep. Um, I think they call that a Montana shot. It's like your button. Um, but it's like that. It's not that. It's right in his face. And it's like you want every. No, they're all confidential. And then. He seems like this big intimidating thing, but it, then as they're framed and walk away and chart their way down that hallway, there's a beautiful like, there's a beautiful sort of uh, way that the bureaucracy is just, even though it seems so big and it's hard to overcome, it's just someone at a desk. It's just someone following yeah. an order. Like it's just someone who's not even looking around why they might be sniffing around. It's just like, we're going to maintain the order here. We're going to follow the process. And that can be the most tiring thing. Like these slow yeses to everything, like all these. Oh, yeah. It's just that's where I get sort of worn down in this movie. I love that little shot because it's this big intimidating space face that says no, and then it's just a guy behind a desk, a boring and desk. He's all by himself. He's all, he's by, all himself. by himself in a dark room, and he probably doesn't interact with anyone. And if he does, <laughs> there's no right away, like like an insurance company. Once you file your first claim, they they literally say no 100 percent of the time, so you go away and don't come back and ask again. Yes. So his default is no. Yes. And he doesn't even want to know why. And it's it's horrifying. You know what's interesting about that shot when we first see him? It reminded me the way it was lit, and maybe this is a Pakula thing, but it reminded me of in Parallax View when um, the guy comes to um, Warren Beatty's apartment and he's standing in the doorway trying to indoctrinate him and get him to come in. And he's lit the same way. It's really dark, and there's just two little pinpoints of light in his eyes. And he looks really... Um, sinister and that was very similar lighting to the first close-up here in the Library of Congress what he looked like 
Well, and just, it was shadowed face and little two little points of light in his eyes, and he looks really sinister. He, he it look, looks looks sinister and then boring. It's like that beautiful yes. thing of like it's sinister and immediately boring. In Parallax, everything's sinister. Like the whole movie wants to eat you. Like what a crazy, oh, yeah. what a crazy relationship for Willis, um, for Willis to work with Pacula for those movies right. too. Like oh my goodness, like they just must have had. I don't know. They're just they're his eyes. Like that their connection. It's just scintillating. It's just so, so, so great in every part of this. Totally. Um, so then we go down this this hallway. They're sort of stuttering down the hall. And then I love that it's just this working class dude who's like, you want everything from here? Like for the last years? Like I got it. Like do it. Literally my favorite line reading the film is, I'm not sure you want them, but I got them. <laughs> it's like, just the I music. literally – the music I, is so beautiful oh, yeah. in that delivery. And that guy, I had to look it up. His name is Jay Stewart, and he plays the uh, librarian, and that was his only film role ever. Ever? So I don't know if he maybe worked there or whatever, but he killed it. He killed his, <laughs> like, two lines. It was so authentic and just threw it away and just put perfect delivery. Jay Stewart, perfect delivery. I hope you were a librarian and that's the only reason why you're not in more movies. But no, <laughs> it is, no, it's just like, it's such a great offset and it's that, and it's, you know, it's it's the times where the movie is able to have a cultural dialogue, but not be not be showy about it, just be like matter of fact. You know, this, yep. this guy who is part of the system, who is sort of ingrained in this bureaucracy is not, is is seeing threats from the outside, doing that insurance claim thing of 100% of the time saying no. Whereas in this instance, there's one very, very, very particular, you know, request that's coming through and someone doesn't see the harm in it. Like someone who's, who's right. still got that, there's no cynicism in his reading of it. It's like, oh, you want to look at it? I, okay. Like what? That's his what? job. His job is to relay and get the information that you request. And he has pride in his job. And he, he knows it where it is. He knows it's a shit ton of it and he's gonna bring it. <laughs> and One. also and also what could be there? What could what could yeah. be so telling about a library slip is is his mind, right? right? Like it feels like it's like he's just so casual, like, oh I've got it. Like I don't yeah. see why anyone would see that this is a problem to see what, you know, the, what you know, library books they're hiring out. You know what's interesting? That the when they're walking down the hallway, the line is we need to find um someone you know what what was it like we can't got to find someone someone with a friendly face yes <laughs> is the the line in the script it says we got to find someone who's not a bureaucrat yes so there's that distinction just to not help us along but just to take a little sharpness off it like let's go find not a bureaucrat that's kind of hard yeah that, that and, uh, you know, play, let's find a friendly face plays, tu- plays tougher let's find a friendly face because these guys yep. are all the whole movie is 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 a is a like a, a Rorschach test for the friendly face. Like the, you yes. open a door, is this going to be a friendly face? No, this person doesn't want to talk, see ya. Like it just is like this cycle of those things going over and over again. But we get our friendly face oh. and then we slam down these hundreds of cards and it and it does that, that most graceful zoom out as elevated shot coming up into the Library of Converse and starts. And if we weren't already knowing it was an uphill David v. Goliath battle, their mountain of cards and this mountainous room starts to sort of open up and you just see that they're these tiny specks of dust that are there while, again, they're these tiny specks in the newsroom and they're these tiny specks in the library and yep. it just arcs up to this absolutely gorgeous staging of, of that Library of Congress shot. It, yeah. Then it eclipses into the next minute. I still can't believe they let them, yeah. 
I can't believe they let him get away with that shot to even shoot it there to that extent. And, <laughs> but I love, I love the fact that when it cuts again, the editing, when, when the, when Jay Stewart, the librarian, he responds to a question not asked as well. Yes. You know, yes. you want what you want. All the so again, it's that, that, that repetitive of that editing style. And then the smash cut to the cards, like you said, and then that sound, I love the sound of the thumbs and fingers uh, pulling the cards. Oops. It's that ASMR, like, <laughs> it is of the papers. oh my oh. god asmr dream for me too is yes. when you hear paper being pulled out of a rubber band stack like it's like yeah. a, like a baseball card or like a collector's card yep. when you're a kid and 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 uh, uh, you know an action figure card or whatever it is and you're like pulling them out and you can hear that it's just it's just so great but you just touched on something <laughs> that i think there's a question, and we'll come back to the ASMR of it all, but there's a question that like a lot of people ask or sort of scratch their head with, and I think you might have started like triggering it is, it is such an effectively edited movie because essentially you're following, you know, it, it, the major criticism to this movie, and it even comes to someone as brilliant as Roger Ebert, the major criticisms of the movie is the re- the repetition, and I think that what what maybe wasn't appreciated at the time, but certainly, you know, aged like a fine wine is like, no, the repetition is intentional. Like the repetition is, it is all part of the mode of this story being told. And then you've got Robert L. Wolf, which is going, well, you know, as an editor, how do we make it more dynamic and how do we make this thing move as quickly as we want to move it? And that's a great technique because if you're repeating the questions over and over and over again, the repetitions would be, tiresome you would start going oh this is just like stop can we stop this whereas if if you are doing exactly what you said and being really clever like we don't need to know what question they're going to ask because in the previous scene they've already asked they've already established what they how they would grill this person what they're after and then yeah. then it gives you know this gives editor robert l wolf and pacula together sitting down to go okay well what, this is how this is how we can do this we, can, we we know what we need to do here completely accurate and as an editor um you know this film the the pacing of it it's like up against the wall every time they're hitting walls they're they're stumbling blocks everywhere it's death by a thousand cuts everywhere they go they're getting turned down and and they're just trying to get one little nugget to get them to the next place to the next clue to the next little crumb to to follow the right trail yes and what i think this film does that is so beautiful is we are with the two leads we only know what they know. We never learn something that they don't know. So we're learning along with them. So it gives us some leeway to have them go all these places, ask these questions, because we're just as curious as they are to find out that next nugget. If we knew something they didn't, the whole the illusion crumbles. Yes. You can see behind the curtain. And that's all, you know, that's part of obviously the writing and the editing, trying to maintain that pacing, that flow, that rhythm, but giving you enough crumbs where you're not bored but also you're just always curious and you're always searching for that next clue and to to sustain and maintain that for over two hours is no easy task no and 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 to know exactly and so obviously deep throat being mark felt plays a huge role in you know that eventual dump of information but we need to like propel the story into its next level it's it's those really calculating decisions to go i'm going to let them butt their heads against up that against that wall over and over again and now i'm going to give them a big injection of information that's going to propel them on the next thing so the pace then that they're learning about things then increases and 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 you you get that 
that you get that beautiful pace firing again and then it'll crawl to a stop and then something happens. It's just it's just very, I don't know, it's just like this hyper-awareness of how the flow of the story is going to work in, yeah. in, in, in the way that it's executed that you just go, man, this is real, real mastery on show from the alchemy of all these people working together to know how everything needed to be paced so perfectly to make this engaging. Absolutely. In, in, in film editing, I, I use a technique that I call micro macro yes. in terms of when I'm editing a scene, I'm obviously concerned about the scene, how it has to play, but I'm also thinking the scene as one brick in the wall and how is it going to affect the pacing? Because oftentimes novice editors or people that aren't experienced, they'll edit a scene, move on to the next scene, and they'll only think of it as that one moment. But those moments are all strung together. Yes. And they create an act and then a sequence, you know, and then uh, the entire film. So one scene that's out of whack, be it pacing or rhythm or tone, can, again, bring the whole picture down. Yeah. And it won't play. So, you know, you always have to be thinking and, you know, small and big at the same time in context with each other to maintain that rhythm and flow, which appears to be effortless, but is definitely not. It's <laughs> <No. such> a <laughs> process. I, I mean, don't about- know. Imagine how our technology. Imagine our technology now, Vashi, right? And how still yeah. hard finding that balance is. And I'm, and you, you as an editorial consultant in the modern world and the digital world, you know, and working with, you know, all, all this like digital footage and how things rendered. There's still time being taken to sort of edit and cut things together and get it into these chunks. But imagine if it's real to real, like, and you're there on a real to real, and you're trying to cut it to get to this level of flow. It must have been just. That's daunting. Yeah, a daunting I mean, effort. At on Deadpool, I worked on that for nine months. We had five hundred and fifty hours of raw footage. God. God, and we did. I did the math just for shits and giggles. And if you were to watch forty hours a week, just to look at the footage the first time, it would take you eighteen weeks working forty hours a week to watch all the footage once. Jesus. So I mean, the mass. I mean, the shooting ratio on that is extremely huge i don't know what it was on all the president's men but i guarantee you know maybe 100 hours or 150 hours or something you know incrementally a lot smaller than than what we can do with digital and how we just film so much today just to capture it but yeah but um but in this scene um if we want to talk about that shot i mean the glorious shot library congress you know first time i saw it um Again, you're you're overwhelmed because you hear the the sound of the paper. You hear the score coming in. We're pulling up and up, and they actually, you know, the 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 room, the Library of Congress, that center room is like 130 feet high, and they actually created a wooden crate um, on a pulley with the camera pointing down. That started right very close, obviously, to the hands and to the to the cards, and then they slowly pulled it up on a pulley up to the ceiling, which is 120 feet. And it took like three minutes to pull it all the way up. And that's why there's those two edits in the middle of the maneuver yes. as it's going up because you couldn't let it roll that way naturally. But with those edits, those dissolves, again, it's implying the time is passing. They have so many papers to look through that, you know, it's it's letting you know that they're spending hours and hours trying to find that one little nugget in there and it's going to take them some time. Um, when they were pulling up, the camera they actually had guidelines on the side like fishing wire to try and keep it steady because you know pulling a free 
floating oh, camera up to the up ceiling. A, up a pulley, it's just going to spin like a top. You know, that's exactly what exactly. I was thinking. God, they must have had a, had a some kind of rig to keep it stable and to keep it steady yeah, so had, that when you got running up, because that would have just been a freaking nightmare. Yeah, they had the main rope going straight up, and they had two guidelines going out to the side to try and stabilize it. And then they did this shot two times in total in that room. Wow. Um, and, you know, reset it, and then they just used the best part of it, the one that was the most stable. But even when it reaches the top, there's that little wiggle left and right where it's just kind of, you know, still twisting around because it's just hanging in air. <laughs> but what a what a shot! I mean, to look down and see you know our two leads just like, like little ants, just like nothing. Which is the theme every time we see these guys, they're coming out of a building. It's this monstrously huge thing behind them, and they're little tiny images in the foreground. You yes. know, this is played out so many times and it really lets you know that it not only is it an uphill battle, but it's, you know, David versus Goliath the it's, whole time. It's it's also I there's something so cool now, like, you know I just want to sort of frame that we get so spoilt for going you walk into that room and you want that shot and someone has to like get on scaffolding, get on rigging, go and drill a hole in the roof. Or build yeah. a rig that is there to then mount a pulley to test the pulley with, you know, probably a person. You know, yeah. they have to get permission from the Library of Congress to drill a hole in the roof. <laughs> they then have to do it and make it either a closed set, shooting at night, whatever, or shooting in the day and close it. And just guarantee, hey, we're only going to shoot for a couple of hours and then we're done and we'll I'll pack up this rig and we'll see you later. But the vision to have the shot and then the the the... the the craft that then goes into actually building it and then doing it and executing it and tr the sort of ingenuity of like, we really want the shot because it's going to underscore thematically what we're trying to go for with this entire character journey. I just also love that because now that's a drone shot and it's freaking easy. Like people are so oh, spoiled yeah. right now. Like you could sit oh. down, like I guarantee you, you know, I'm, I'm um, as I'm recording this podcast, like I'm planning an LA trip a little later in the year. Um, and, and I can imagine that if I like did a quick dart to Washington DC on a domestic flight like if i took a drone with me i could make that shot happen like i could be sitting in the library if, if i didn't oh, yeah. get in trouble for using a drone i could make that drone shot happen and go hey, there, there's my older president's men shot and i'm good thank you very much and you walk out of there in five minutes but it's just like it's just impossible to even conceive of that back in those days and it's just like so great that they did it and they had to sort of deal with whatever that organic you know little shake is i, I don't think it takes anything away from the shot i think it just yeah completely, not at all it doesn't it works. bother me at all no and what's interesting again in the shooting script this shot is not in the script it show it no. says that they were looking through the cards, digging, 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 and then it, sh it says three omitted shots that weren't in the script. So, so again, I'd love to find out if they, on the day or like previously, were like, "Listen, we should get this shot because that's a hell of an ask to tell the director." Or even if Makula said, "You know what? I love the shot that starts close to them and goes straight up to the ceiling <laughs> of the Library of Congress, up 120 feet. Let's make that happen." The logistics of just trying to get that going must have been ridiculous yeah and but, and, um, yeah, and to your knows? and to your point and to your and to your point as well it's like to do that it's it's a long time to do it they're not shooting a lot in washington they are shooting shooting in burbank quite a bit because the whole washington um uh, so the whole office. washington post office is in burbank so they're doing all that shooting there so they're shooting on location they do this and um you know this is one of those things where it's 
the alchemy of this is that it is William Goldman's script, but it had a lot of influence from Redford himself and Pacula going, okay, we want to do this and this is how we're going to do it and this is the story we're telling. So that's super interesting. But one thing we haven't mentioned yet, which I think I wanted to talk about really quickly is like just the introduction of the score. Like this is like yeah. one of the first moments in the entire film where there's an overt piece of score. Now there's other little tinkerings that we may have heard up until this minute, but this this sort of theme of the movie um, which is so, so sparsely used, but it's used to such great effect is like it, 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 it's pronouncement here and it's sort of introduction is this lulling feeling you're going into it. But it's also like, wow, like there's been no music in this movie and I'm on the edge of my seat. There's not a yeah. lick of music and I'm freaking excited. It's so it's such a strange concept, but it's so it's so great that it's like this is the scene that shows you, oh, there's really no we're not playing this to toy with your emotions. We don't need the music as an additional manipulator here. We've got you. We've got you covered in the writing, the performances, and in the editing. No, David Shire's score and all his scores are always so magnificent and so just different. It's just it's not even it's not minimalist at all. It's just it's perfect for the movie, perfect for the scene. Like it's almost to the point you don't even realize the music is playing because, as you noted, there's very little, if anything, up to this point. And and then it comes in and it, it it's like the heavens are opening in terms of <laughs> you yes. adding another layer onto the story and it, it may be cueing us that they're on the right path it may be cueing us that whatever something is happening but it is it, it is telling us something and I think that you've made the point that today in like almost everything be it on streaming or films like it's just buried under music it's yes. just so much music at all times cues that are on the nose that are telling you what to feel and there is very little silence people are scared of silence like producers are scared of silence because <laughs> they think they're going to lose the audience and so they just shower you know everything with music at all times and it's so powerful to have no music and and when something does come in it's so much more effective yeah like i mean the real power of a the real power of a great needle drop or a great score is like when especially when a movie's gone for so long and it's so deliberate for something to come in like over the top or you know i think horror movies have a real command of silence and then like a blaring radio or something like that you know it doesn't feel yeah. like that in this movie as an example but it's just that more awareness that silence is a real creep and like just some little you know making people agonize over that is is a whole is a whole technique in and of itself but yeah it's it's just it's just a great choice when you're thinking about and and you know so many adaptations of uh, or recreations of past like this is a dramatization that's you know being made in 75 about a story that happened in 72 so at, you know and an unfolding drama that concludes in 74 so like they've got a lot of the primary source material they know it's, it's such a quick no... turnaround unbelievably quick turnaround that's, oh my God. Uh, can you imagine uh, i mean i can't i can't fathom that a movie this big with this many stars for warner brothers it's a studio film that probably shot took a year to shoot He's released on the 1st of Jan in 76 to compete for Oscar. And all of that happens. And when you then do a little bit of research, as we've done for the podcast, is it's that Redford is talking to Woodward and Bernstein while they're not even <laughs> finished writing the book. Like, he's like, you need to write the book. And when you write the book, I want the rights to the book. You know, right. and, and to think of that, so he could be talking to them in like 72, 73, have to have it locked down by 74. Because then the final yeah. days comes out, which is their ca- accounts of, of literally the final days of Nixon's time in office, and it's just like all this, this, this 
there's no distance between the real life events and then the film producers waiting in the wings here. It's it's kind of um, and and that is a very problematic thing to happen. You know, in the great um, Scott Z Burns' excellent movie, and I recommend to anyone who owns has a Prime subscription. Um, um, Scott Z Burns' great movie called The Report um, is is available on Amazon Prime, and it actually take some swipes. I watched it twice. <laughs> I watched it twice. So, so yeah. excellent, right? Such an excellent movie. Yeah, but it takes some swipes, very very fair swipes at Zero Dark Thirty um, because, you know, unfortunately for Catherine Bigelow, her team were embedded with CIA resources and were getting information about everything that was unfolding with the Osama bin Laden raids and all of the investigation to find his location. But it was a very propagandistic view that they were receiving from their contacts. And so when they were so immediate and able to create this movie and be sort of almost feel like they're in production while the story is unfolding, um, there's such a problematic thing because a few years later, people like in Scott Z. Burns' Stocker can go, hey, this yeah. is just a CIA propaganda film. And it calls it all into question. So it just becomes this, it's just, you know, it becomes part of the myth of the movie of like, how did this actually, how did it actually come, to- come yeah. together? How did it come together in that frame? And, and the fact that it was so quick, I mean, they shot for 96 days, which is, oh my goodness. you know, it's a good chunk of time. And, you know, that's not every day. I'm sure they spread it out. So factor that into the timeline of actual events happening and also the huge concern of getting it right, because history will tell if you told the story the right way. I'm not saying it's a documentary, but it feels like a documentary a lot of the time in terms of like revisiting it. Yes. Because it's nailing all this stuff. And then, you know, we get deep throat years later we get confirmation of who it was but that was always a great mystery to have that strung along for the last 30 years <laughs> yeah. um yeah but it, it's it is special it's really it, special it is it's it's so, it's so special and it's even funnier just i love to mention it when i get a chance is like how holbrook um looks exactly like mark felt like it's undeniable <laughs> like he's he just looks so much like him and it's even funnier that woodward like when they were choosing actors you know, Woodward had a real, he's like, you know, yeah, Hal Holbrook's the guy. And it's like, however many years later we actually learned of the facts, it's like, yeah, well, I mean, if we, if you just held that guy up against anyone who was a high ranking officer in the intelligence service in America, you might go, God damn it, Hal Holbrook looks like you, Mark Felt. Like, you know, like people, even when the movie was released, Mark, Hal Holbrook looks just like you. Has anyone ever told you that? You know, I want to be in that office scene, like the comedy sketch version of like, hey, Mark, how Holbrook looks just like you. Like, it's crazy. Right, right. Oh, my God. I mean, and that, and that speaks to the casting of this film. Like, every character is perfect. Yeah. I can't see anyone else in any of other scenes, in any other roles. Like, it was just perfectly cast. Yeah, no, it's it's – and, you know, for all of the – you know, everyone likes to have the more attractive version – the way more attractive version of themselves, as in Bernstein and Woodward, get um, uh, get with Dustin Hoffman and Robert Redford, you know, two of the biggest movie stars of their age, and Robert Redford, one of the most beautiful men of all time. But it's it's they 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 earn that that little piece of Hollywood movie magic fallacy by just terrific embodiments of those characters. Like they're both doing such phenomenal work. Um, to perform those characters and do them justice, and 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 you know they might look like a more polished and more beautiful version, but it, it it's it's very 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 powerful and and very affecting nonetheless. No, well well stated, and they, they were so understated in their performances and so naturalistic, which is something that I I find is not present 
today so much, maybe in my viewpoint, like there's something about that era of the seventies where, you know, they don't look, they're not dressed perfectly. Something's rumpled, you know, part, part of that's the character, but their performances are so naturalistic. I, I can't even express, you know, what the difference is now and then, but, there's something yeah, about it that just feels it's, right. It's yeah. There's I don't know whether it's like a, a flavor of melodrama, uh, you know, coming back into fashion or something like that. But yeah, there's just something, you know, when you see a really true and naturalistic and, and completely understated, un, un, under, um, under delivered almost performance, it's really refreshing. You're like, oh, like this is there's no there's no artifice on this. They're just trying to give you something authentic and i think that you know it's funny the report we talked about it now twice and and i think it's definitely going to come up um as we keep going um knowing how much of a fan that scott c burns and soderbergh are of this movie particularly sure um it's impossible um we were even talking about how much of a fan soderbergh is and how much contagion almost feels um in the same you know it feels like it's the same kind of expression as all the president's men um uh, but for a much much different topic (laughs) yeah yeah we were talking about that before it's just contagion just like uh, all the president's men is just very matter of fact it's just presenting in information and we're moving forward and we're just along for the ride and it's a scary ride yes in both those films absolutely um there's one actor that i that that we're talking about the naturalism that um do you know bill camp the actor he looks like uh jack warden funny enough um and he was in the looming tower he was in dark water oh yes i know bill camp yes i do i didn't i I couldn't place him with his name he's in and oh he's in so many things he was people would know him for things like joker he's also in 12 years a slave but a couple of things that i want to say that he's absolutely phenomenal in he is absolutely um uh phenomenal in killing of a sacred deer he's in um he's also in midnight special which he's just wonderful in yeah he's 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 all across the board great character actor he's in the outsider right now oh yes yes he's just so i just love watching him and sometimes you can't even i I look at him and i don't even recognize him (laughs) yes and it's not from overacting or anything else or underacting it's just he transforms himself and that's he feels of that era of the 70s like he feels of he could have been in that film as well and you know yeah he, just, he i appreciate he could I, be I in it he could be in one of those editorial meetings bill camp he would find oh, a yeah. pl- he'd find a place with a ruffled white shirt and nicotine <laughs> stains on his hands like he's he's the guy for one of those scenes he, he, he totally. absolutely and that's the highest compliment i think we can give look vashi it's Absolutely, always a pleasure to talk to you, my friend. This has been really wonderful. And um, when we talk about craft together, I get really excited because you just place things so beautifully um, uh, and, and, and talk about the practicality of uh, how scenes must string together to have that sort of um, – that to sort of make the overall tone of the movie. And I love those micro – um, and macro um, discussions and cutting off questions. Yeah. I think that, that that's that's if, if people uh, who are now listening and this is your you know 30th episode with us, I think that's one of those things you're going to go back and probably agonize over is like how many times do we know what kind of question they've asked and we just stumble straight into the answer to, to continue yeah. to maintain our momentum. And I think asking the question again and again in some scenes is precisely because they're not going to get the answer they want. So that might just be a whole other thing we've stumbled on in the, in the art of this we got movie. Lots, we got lots of minutes left to, to readdress that. But About, yeah, thank uh, you so much for having me on, Blake. It's, it's always a privilege and an honor and to, to share 
these thoughts and comments on films that we love so much and to get really into the minutia of everything is, is exciting and it, it shows how deep not only this film is but the entire craft of filmmaking it's not just turning on a camera and, and having people run around it's such a detailed art and it should be respected and understood more thank you my friend it's a pleasure to have you and uh, undoubtedly as we go on you'll be back so um, we look forward to having you back on the show uh, whether it's for another episode of all the president's minutes or one of the next madcap uh, deep dives that we dive down so thank you so much for being a part of the show absolutely anytime you need me i'll be there thank you blake my incredible guest of course is vashi nidamansky at Vashiku, V-A-S-H-I-K-O-O on Twitter. You need to follow him, VashiVisuals.com. Uh, I mean, he's an essential follow. He's a phenomenal person. I just, uh, I really feel honored and privileged to be able to sort of talk to a true artist who's working and a technician like Vashi every time. And with just such a storied life, he's just wonderful. So Vashi, thank you again, my friend, for being a part of the show. It's always a treat. This has been another One Heat Minute production. Thank you so much for listening along. We have an amazing array of shows. One Heat Minute, obviously. The last 12 minutes of the Mohicans. Increment Vice. Josie and the Podcats. All the President's Minutes, which you're listening to today. And our daily podcast, Con 10 Gen, which is a tight 10, talking to a whole stack of folks in isolation, in quarantine, sort of accounting for in this community everything that's going down. Listen along to that daily. We're going to have great shows coming up for you, some unannounced stuff, which we are going to announce to tease for the future. But if you want to support us, we do have a Patreon, and you can find links to that on oneheatminute.com. If you want to go to our site, oneheatminute.com or incrementvice.com, you can find out more about the shows. And if you want to go to graffitiwithpunctuation.com, you can read about Contention and our upcoming six-part limited series, Josie and the Podcasts. Until next time, thank you so much. Subscribe, rate, review, share. Thanks so much for listening. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.